As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. The talk is what's going on as hard as the can. <laughs> it's Drew and Roth sitting on the can. <laughs> it's we're back. Oh. We're back. It's a dead cast. I'm Drew. That's Roth. Hi, Roth. What a lovely gift that is. I've always wanted to have a Mike and the Mad Dog style theme song for myself and for myself just doing things. And you made that dream come true. I I used to love that song because it was because the original lyric. I'm going to just sing it again because they're talking sports going at it as hard as they can. Like they're slugging it out in a fucking boxing ring with their with their old yappy takes. Yep, just like big soft Mike Francesa looking like a sandwich bag full of like just pudding, and then Chris Russo running in circles around him screaming. I think the next lyric in that is uh, "Nothing can get by him. Go ahead and try him." Yeah, which yeah. is. Also, again, a challenge to the listeners. See if you can stump Mike Francesa. This was like, even then, they knew that his greatest skill was hanging up on people and being like, uh, you know. <laughs> but Back after this, uh, the folks at Back After This uh, posted a segment from yesterday uh, when Francesa was going through, uh, if you don't know this, the Kate Smith controversy, the woman who uh, had a statue, I believe it was outside... A baseball stadium, yes. In, no, Philadelphia. She had it's where the Flyers play. It's where the Flyers play. But she was also and, the God Bless America that played every seventh inning at Yankee Stadium. Every seventh inning at Yankee Stadium. A policy I hate that was instituted yeah. after 9-11. And if you don't stand during God Bless America, <laughs> a security guard named Vinny comes <laughs> and throws you over the fence into the infield, yeah. and then you get spiked to death. Some dude named like with Oakley's on, like looks at you in a way that's very withering, which is, you know, not it's not assault, but it's not not assault. No, it's not not assault. <laughs> anyway, uh, this woman, uh, Kate Smith, uh, turned out that she had uh, some rather racist tunes to her uh, back catalog, uh, including uh, one called, ugh, God. Yeah, you don't. Do I even want to say? I mean, just imagine what a, a racist song from like 1933 would be called. Uh, yeah. You know, and you're probably right, or you're in the ballpark anyway. Uh, it's uh, the song was called "That's Why Darkies Were Born." Well, good guess, uh, everyone. And uh, anyway, they they covered up Kate Smith's uh, statue, prelude to tearing it down until I don't know until someone like the Federalist demands that it not be torn down. <laughs> right. The only way to resist the creeping tyranny of political correctness in our society is to listen to like just race songs from 1933. <laughs> The uh, the Federalist headline, by the way, if you search Kate Smith on Google right now, the first thing you get in the result is uh, in the top stories is a Federalist headline. So thanks for that, Google. That's great. Always good. And the headline is, if we cancel Kate Smith, we must cancel the New York Yankees, which, okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all right. If you twist my arm, Preston Merriweather the 13th or whoever, whatever Federalist pud wrote that. <laughs> anyway, Francesa uh, was talking to a caller 
A caller said he thought it was outrageous that they were mistreating Kate Smith, who, by the way, is dead. Been dead. <laughs> Been dead for a long-ass time. Yeah, yeah, it was a dead person. It's okay to cancel the dead person. Yeah, and uh, She doesn't and know. Of course, <laughs> Betty from the Bronx or whatever was like, I got no problem with the song. It's fucking great. <laughs> and Francesa is like, well, let's read... Let's read the lyrics. And he reads the lyrics, but he he like mumble sings the lyrics yeah. as he's reading them on the air. He's like... <laughs> he is in such a Baroque phase right now. It's every show he's just dragging his ass through because he's on for like seven hours. <sighs> and he doesn't follow sports anymore. So it's tough. It's really tough. But yeah, so he's... There's a lot of uh, my favorite Francesa thing, which I will not... Actually, I will subject our listeners to it. It's when he makes sounds where he's like... Uh, yeah. Like, you know what I'm talking about? And oh, yeah. Yeah, so he does a lot of that because he's like, someone, some producer printed out the lyrics for him, so he's going through them on pieces of paper, and he's like, uh, watermelons? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's like, terrible. it's like really, really remedial scat singer. He's like, <laughs> anyway, the big upset was that Francesca read the lyrics, and he was like, and he goes, oh, come on, come on, this is offensive. Like, he, like I was like, I was... Perfectly ready for Mike to be like, eh, it's no big deal. Yeah, people get too offended too easy these days. But instead, he was like, this song, <laughs> which is, it takes, I mean, it's always a surprise when Francesca gets something, something right. It's like seeing a, a dog standing on its hind legs or something, but right. you got you to gotta respect it when it happens. It really does, uh, I was impressed. This is a, just an d- amazing comeback, too, because this is the day after Francesca had somebody call him, and as soon as they got on the air, they were like, hey, uh, Mike, can you call me back? I don't have time to talk to you right now. <laughs> Which is just one of the all-time best gags that you could play on a call-in show. And he played it off, too. He made it sound like a pathetic joke, but it was a good joke. It was yeah. he who got joked upon. Uh-huh. Yes. Sorry, Mike. It's weird. You talking about him singing makes it—this it, I this hadn't occurred to me before, but it's really weird that he hasn't recorded an album of standards. <laughs> like Seth MacFarlane style? Yeah, right. Like, he should have done some sort of—like, just he's been in the business for a long time. You know he definitely is, like, a guy that admires— Frank Sinatra's professionalism or whatever. No, yeah, a thousand percent. I would he, love to hear Francesca sing like Strangers in the Night. I would pay money for that shit. He absolutely, yeah. He could do like the ad where the progressive stack of paper has like a collection of lounge hits. He could do that, but it's just him going, <laughs> bum, 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 bing, bing, bing. It's not available. <laughs> not available in any store. Yeah. <laughs> Just him and Trump, like a duet, just like trading badas and bings. Yeah, some like real ring-a-ding-ding, like rat pack type shit. Be really good. Anyway, it's a very special week for me personally, uh, Roth, because it's time once again for the NFL Draft. Yeah, are you excited? I'm not that excited, but, you know, I'm happy for you. I always am. Hell Uh, goddamn yeah. So how deep... On the draft, like how much tape have you have you eaten here? Is your belly distended with football knowledge? I do not do the draft Nick thing where like I watch tape of prospects and stuff like that. And I I used to like read guides and stuff like that and like mm-hmm. read the paragraph. And my entire worldview of a player would be taken from that paragraph. Like, yeah, he seems okay. Oh, same. Or yeah. like, oh, problems with his footwork. Oh, I don't like this guy. Oh, yeah. we don't take <laughs> that's him. A, that's a red flag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like I... But I never, like, I never, like, watched college football to, like, scout. Like, I watched college football because I enjoyed college football. And if I see one player who's good, and I'll get into one in a second, I'll be like, oh, he's got potential, that one. I'm going to keep my eye on this fella. And then I don't keep my eye on him at all. Yeah, because, like, you have stuff going on. Watching college football, I mean, this, I think we talked about this last week, that, like, 
It's a commitment, man. That's all day on Saturday, plus, you know, the NFL, which actually, you know, you like and have a rooting interest in. I like I college more, football, too. I guess you do. You do, right? And you're, as a, as a Michigan fan, you have a rooting interest there, too. All right. Like, for me, like, I, if I had to choose between the two, which I felt like I did, I was like, well, I'd just, I'd rather hang out on Saturday and watch football on Sunday than uh, watch football all of both days and get divorced. <laughs> I still don't think I, like I've said before, like when I got married, when I had kids, I had to commit sort of sports triage. Yeah, everybody does. And divest myself of a few of them. And football was easily last. And football, to my mind, I know Howard was bitching about it because Howard was going to, but it's not that big of a time commitment. Like it's a, you know, it's a Sunday afternoon and you can watch highlights and something if you need to get the gist and all that stuff. By the way, speaking of college ball, the NCAA, I believe, just passed a rule change today or yesterday. It said after five overtime periods, uh, <laughs> which is great. It's great they need a rule for after five overtime yes, periods. Yes, it is. That is like as good an advertisement for college football. If someone like showed up and was like, why should I watch it? You could be like, well, they just came up with a rule to stop teams from scoring touchdowns in overtime number six. They did. They said, fuck it. We're not going to start at the 25-yard line anymore. After the fifth overtime, we just go to two-point conversions, and then we do that over and over to see who wins. And as someone who, I've, I've said this before, but I'm saying everything that I've said before. I, I think the college football overtime is clearly like an abomination from a purist standpoint, but it's fucking awesome, and I have no problem with it. Yep, absolutely. You, you, you just have to accept it as something slightly different than the football you grew up watching. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, it's like arena league ball, uh, but it is amazing. Like, and I don't, again, I don't watch as much college football, but every now and then if I see that there's like one of those things, it's like Texas A&M and Texas Tech, and it's like 56-51 in the fourth overtime, I'm like, all right, well, this is worth me making time for. Yes, absolutely. Because you get like your, your recommended weekly dose of touchdowns and like – five minutes yeah it completely like you instantly go into hyperdrive you don't have yeah. to worry about a rams patriots super bowl breaking out it's awesome yeah it kind of rules it's like i mean there's a reason why you shouldn't like your diet should not entirely be corn pops right but like enjoy corn pops when you want to enjoy corn pops yeah no i i i enjoy the sugar rush of it and i i'm disappointed that they had they felt compelled to install this rule after Texas A&M and LSU played to 97 overtimes in the fall and one of the greatest <laughs> games of all time. So that's yep. disappointing to me. But the draft! Uh, I have some draft questions for you. First of all, as a lapsed <laughs> Giants fan, I want to know who you would like them to take because, Roth, you have a plethora of takes at six and at 17 for Cleveland in the OBJ trade. So a lot of draft ammunition, a lot of assets for the Giants in this draft. So what I would like is uh, for them to somehow get one of the really good defensive linemen that's probably going to be taken before them. Like, Quinnen Williams is one of the few guys. Like, again, the very limited amount of college football that I watched where I was like, oh, well, that guy's extremely good. And I, you know, whatever. I haven't seen a a mock draft that has him falling to them. I also would like to see them draft a quarterback, but I think they're going to pick the wrong one, and I'm just trying to figure out uh, which— quarterback that would be who is the wrongest quarterback for the ah. Giants to take when's the wrongest time for them to take it let's, I've never felt more alive let's let's go through those quarterbacks because really when you watch the draft I mean I like you know I'm like oh an offensive lineman okay but really I only give a shit about the skill players right right and that's what's weird too is now that nobody drafts running backs anymore it's like you know one position out of the three that I actually notice in the average game is just like gone I remember one year the Vikings drafted David Palmer out of Bama, who was totally electric when he was a returner. Bama. Yeah. I was like, oh, fuck David Palmer. Here comes Super Bowl. 
like, I, it's funny that you mentioned, I also remember how cool David Palmer was. He was awesome. And, and the NFL, I mean, they didn't have anything in mind for him, really. And he washed out fast. Oh, yeah, yeah. They also, I think they drafted Kadri Ismail within, if not that same year, within a couple of years. And I was like, we're locked and loaded. <laughs> we have the brother of Rocket Ismail. We're gonna, we're gonna kick He's even ass. older. <laughs> yeah. So here are, here are the quarterbacks that appear to be uh, locks to go in the first round. They are, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna list them and then we can talk about them. The first right. is Kyler Murray, a Heisman Trophy winner out of Alabama. I've heard of him. Uh, second one is Drew Locke out of Missouri. Third one is the intriguing Daniel Jones of Duke, a vile dookie who might go in the first round as a quarterback. Uh, and then Ohio State prospect Dwayne Haskins. And uh, this is where I note that Diana Rossini of ESPN noted this morning that, that Dan Snyder and Bruce Allen personally love Dwayne Haskins and are exploring training up to the number three slot to claim him, which would be the worst thing that ever happened in Dwayne Haskins' life. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, just like physically, it would be really bad for him. Like, it would pretty much guarantee some sort of terrible lower body injury. But I watched. Uh, I watched a lot of Ohio State because it's it's college football. You're going to end up watching more Ohio State than you care to. Yeah. And Haskins is baffling to me because he's he's compl- his arm strength is insane. He can throw it basically anywhere he fucking wants to. Yep. But it's not one of those things like Jamarcus where he like, can throw it ninety yards but can't do anything else. Like he's clearly a very skilled passer. And so I'm like, I'm like, this guy could be really fucking good. If it goes to the skins, he will die instantly. He will instantly yeah. become a fucking pud. It's not even well, close. Yeah, either because his lower body will detach because they had like a fucking whatever, like a, uh, oh my God, like a Keith Urban concert, like 20 minutes before the game started at midfield or whatever, like just classic Redskins shit. He's also uh, slow, I guess. So that, like, he will be constantly having to evade tacklers, and then, yeah, somebody will hit him, and he will disintegrate, and that will be that. He's Very a, sad. He's a touch-plotting. And, yes, the Skins have uh, led the league in players on IR two years in a row. One year is bad luck. Two years in a row. <laughs> two years is an organizational philosophy. Yeah, that's when Dr. David Chow is your, your team trainer. <laughs> uh, so of that group, again, Kyler Murray, Drew Locke, Daniel Jones, Dwayne Haskins— and in fact, I'm going to leave Murray out because I believe that he will not be there by the time F4, the six pick rolls around. Six, you will have yeah. to trade up to get him. Who would you want of that bunch? I mean, I guess, I mean, because again, my limited scouting, Haskins' arm is is incredible to me that uh, it, it's just whatever, the fun of watching him throw the ball around. I think like even the Giants couldn't totally dim that. And they, you know, whatever they've shown, it's not like Eli's exactly like peak Michael Vick. Like <laughs> right. you can do it like a guy that plays with like a parking boot on has succeeded in this organization and this system. I just, I, I feel like the, the likelihood of them taking, of like absolutely overthinking it and taking the Duke guy because like they, whatever he answered the Rorschach questions most correctly in their pre-draft interview or whatever seems extremely high to me. Yeah, that sounds about right. I also, I would have more faith. Obviously, it would be a better prospect for Haskins to go to the Giants than to the Skins. But the way the Giants have conducted their offseason with Dave Gettleman, you know, making his fake computer noises and trading Odell (laughs) and keeping Pat Shermer around, who I don't think will last another year, I think that they are essentially... They have to go through one more absolute shit show of a season before they can even begin to get back on track, if they even could. 
Yeah, so many of the things I've read about, because there's been a lot, Haskins is from New Jersey, he grew up near Rutgers. And Rutgers. Is, he, Rutgers. Uh, and, but he went to high school near D.C. He went to, actually, according to McKenna, the same posh private high school that uh, Henry Rollins went to. As one does. You know. Yeah, also a school where Daniel Snyder's uh, son is a, is a student. But, uh, so Haskins, there's a lot of talk about, like, oh, he's going to come back to New Jersey and and take over the Giants and lead them back to the promised land or whatever. And so much of the coverage that I've read has, like, it's had, I think Ian O'Connor and ESPN actually wrote, he's like, it might be a while before the Giants pick near the top of the first round again. And I was like, mm, source for this claim, dude? Like, where are you so sure? Like, because they sucked ass last year and they didn't change anything except for trading the other, like one of their two really above average offensive players. Yes, that's right. I, I yeah, that it's, it kind of makes the organization toxic to me. But then again, they're, you know, they're the favorite son of the NFL. So I could see them somehow stealing them way, their way back to respectability and going 8-8, eight and eight, particularly if they have not Eli Manning playing quarterback yeah. for an extensive stretch next season. They're definitely, all the offseason moves, I, even I guess to a certain extent the Beckham thing seems like they're, that's what they're going for, that they're trying to, to win seven games. Or eight games. And I guess that's like, you know, in some ways, like in the most abstract sense, I like appreciate that they're trying to put a good product on the field. But in another more concrete sense, they committed a ton of money to Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate. And I just don't know that that is the move that you, like those guys are the last pieces on <laughs> right. a team, you know? And instead that's like, no, those are your one and two respectively. Like, are you sure about this? Yeah, I wouldn't say Golden Tate had himself a whale of a, Second half no. of the season. Yeah, it. really rebuilt his value and uh, earned that contract. Let's take a break and come back and talk more draft. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We're back. We're talking more draft. By the way, I want to tell you one of the quarterbacks uh, I do like, <laughs> Roth, is uh, Northwestern quarterback. And this is the most Northwestern name you could ever conceive of. It's Northwestern quarterback Clayton Thorson. Ooh. <laughs> Who, while he wasn't, uh, while he wasn't <laughs> starring in Thor Ragnarok. Uh, <laughs> I know. I love it. He uh, wasn't writing a groundbreaking was, economics textbook. He was... <laughs> Uh, he was uh, he's completing over sixty percent of his passes uh, for Northwestern uh, with a passer rating of one twenty one. Although college passer ratings are NFL passer ratings, but you add a hundred anyway. <laughs> uh, his TDI and T ratio is not great, seventeen to fifteen. Also, and I, this was only one game, I think, or a couple games, but inexplicably, uh, Northwestern coach Pat Fitzgerald platooned him with another quarterback named TJ Green, whose completion percentage was far worse and had two less yards per attempt. 
Uh, oh boy. Than, than Thorson and had zero touchdown passes all season long. And had it was Fitzgerald, one of the more it was one of the more college coach moves I've ever seen. Yeah. It was very Doesn't Fitzgerald periodically get like like tossed around as an NFL coaching candidate too? Maybe, because like I think just basically if you're a college coach and you haven't been fired after like <laughs> let's say three seasons. Right. Yeah, they're, they're like, oh, he's a leader of men, obviously. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's still at Purdue, so he's doing something right. Yeah, Fitzgerald is that, no football team more, like, I guess Kansas State maybe, more fully embodied sucking when I was a kid. And so the fact that Northwestern is competitive, if you're a certain age, is still kind of remarkable, even though it's been that way for, like, a generation now, more or less. Yeah, they went to a Rose Bowl uh, when I was in college, I think. They played USC in the Rose Bowl. And mm-hmm. I think it was I think it was Gary Barnett was their coach, right? Yeah, uh, sounds right. And it was a big fucking deal at the time. Like it was it was after like their Denny Green phase when they went winless for a season and stuff like that, and they were still like the Columbia of the Big Ten. And yeah, now they are like now they have like they have the half billion dollar like fuck you athletic complex like all the other rich schools do. Yeah. So and now, they're like definitely like a Christmas time bowl game team, but yes. that's like you know it's better yeah. than it was. Uh, so let me ask you, uh, a couple of other things. First of all, do you believe as an NFL expert, do you believe Kyler Murray will go to number at the number one pick? I mean, it seems like that's the, the consensus. It certainly is like, it's the thing that makes hiring Cliff Kingsbury make sense. If there's anything that makes that make sense to hire like a former college coordinator as the head coach of your NFL program. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, which is weird. I mean, I don't this is something we talked about in a previous deadcast about Josh Rosen, who I thought was an excellent college quarterback. I really every time I saw him last year, he was just like heaving the ball straight up into the air <laughs> and like sinking to the ground in tears. Uh, but the idea of them just like instantly punting on that is weird to me. I agree. I think it's especially after they fired the head coach and had a disastrous season just team wise. I mean, Rosen was not good last year, but, you know, you tend to give rookies a grace period, especially when they're quarterbacks. So, yeah, yeah, it's weird to give up after just one season when you drafted him that high and traded up to draft the guy, no less. Right, right. And I had this, this is not like a a novel theory or whatever, but there is like this certain level of like sucking that a team can get to where it's almost impossible to evaluate individual performances within the context of that team because everything is so borked. Like the same way yes. with the the Phoenix Suns are, are the NBA's example of this, where like Devin Booker scores 50 points three times a year, and I have no idea if he's any good or not. He only does it because everybody else on his team is bad and like they haven't had a coach in right. weeks. You know, like so the idea of like assessing Josh Rosen when he was like dropped into this incredibly hopeless situation, like I don't know. I mean, to me, like if they think that it, the thing that feels the most right to me is uh, Gruden targeting Kyler Murray and trading up to get him. Yeah. That just feels like a Gruden move. Yeah. Giving like all the Bears picks he got. Yeah, plus yeah. Plus extras on top of it so he can get Kyler Murray and ruin Kyler Murray. Yep. And then not get anything for Derek Carr, who they just gave like $100 million to. That would right, be the yeah. most Raiders. I mean, but, honestly, as a Giants fan, I wouldn't mind if the Giants were where Derek Carr landed. I would happily take that. But yeah, in general, when you draft a quarterback that high, he gets at least a year. And I don't, I'm sure there are other examples, but it's it's hard to me to it's hard for me to remember a high drafted quarterback only getting one year and then getting 
run out of town on a rail. And yeah, like Ryan Leaf got like three years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like guys that were just clearly broken from the start and like toxic. I'm trying to think of like the guys. There, there were a lot of like quarterbacks back when when we were younger that people would get drafted because they were like tall. And then oh, they yeah. would, and then they, I guess like Osweiler or uh, Paxton Lynch is a guy that get, got punted away quickly. Yeah. So like, although, it's definitely although possible. Paxton lasted how many years in Denver? Three? Yeah. Two? Yeah. He didn't play very much. Nah, but it was sucked. like, yeah, even like Hackenberg's going to get a pension, you know? Hackenberg's like, that guy probably the closest any, one. <laughs> yeah. And not, and he was not a, whatever, the, whatever Rosen was picked, the third or fourth overall, like. Uh, he was, yes. Uh, Hackenberg was drafted in the second round and everyone was like, what? <laughs> and then really Rosen was drafted, uh, I believe, in the top 10, but I do not believe he was drafted that high. He was the 10th pick. 10th pick. He was 10th overall. You beat me. I should have done the Francesa sing mumbling while yeah, I Yeah, I would have been distracted. Um, would have been bopping in my seat while you were like, uh. uh. <laughs> By the way, good news for Josh Rosen. I heard a report this morning on the radio that uh, the skins are not interested in trading for him, which could be a smokescreen, and he, but he better pray it's not a smokescreen. Yeah, screen. seriously. This is, although, again, it's, this is also the other thing with, like, assessing any of this shit. Like, we have no idea what any team wants because they all are just telling oafish lies nonstop and yes. will be until the moment the draft is over. That's true. And I actually enjoy, I actually enjoy that part of the process because, first of all, the teams always think they're much more clever than they are. Yes. You know? <laughs> like, well, let's leak a true thing and everyone will think it's fair, you know? <laughs> it is. It's incredible. This is what is good about this time of year is that it's like, I, I mean, not all of the the people that are in charge making these decisions are actually, like, stupid, but they are all in, like, a basic sense, like, dumb guys. Like, they're constantly, like, scheming and plotting and, like, you know, like, doing all kinds of weird, like, subterfuge and stuff like that. So it's just, like, watching all these dumb guys locked in a battle of wits with other dumb guys is, like, extraordinarily bracing and fun to me. And the other thing is that the access merchants all have to report it at face value because they they have to. That's their job. Yeah. That's uh, also part of how they keep their access is that, like, whatever, they get fed some, like, obvious bullshit and they're like, all right, fine, I'll tweet it. But, like, right. <laughs> just tell me a true thing in, like, two months, please. Yeah, and then every speculation they have gets ratioed into oblivion with guys just doing them the eye roll emoji and shit like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Peppered uh, by people being like, go Raiders! Right, yeah, it's all, it's like uh, Chris Pratt gifts and, yeah, and then, like, guys whose handles are, like, whatever, like, Raiders A's children or whatever, you know, just like these weird like dads that only get mad about football teams online. But it's funny because all of that fades away eh, like nine hours before the draft and like they're like, like the access guys get the actual news and they're like, no, this trade's actually happening. And all the bullshit just goes away right away and they're all like, okay, okay, we can stop playing the stupid game that nobody believes in. Yeah, it is weird. I mean, because it's like they'll float stuff about like who's interested and who's down on whatever. But like, you're right. Like I was thinking about the Frank Clark trade that happened yesterday and stuff like that. Like that came together pretty fast and with a great degree of certitude. Like they weren't like throwing that shit out there and like not knowing what they were doing. That's true. That's true. And by the way, that's a that's an awful lot of money and wow, draft yeah. stock to invest in Frank fucking Clark, who's right. an it's asshole. Like the, the Khalil Mack package for a guy that's, like, a lot worse as a person and certainly notably worse as a player as well. Yeah, like, he's he's a perfectly decent pass rusher, but god damn, they gave him, what, $60 million guaranteed? I mean, it's yeah. just... Uh, it's not it's, also, it's not good for my soul when I see Frank Clark excelling to such a degree. 
It's also, I, kind of, I decided I liked the Chiefs too. So it's like, this is, I mean, and they had continued to add guys that were like less likable guys uh, over true. the course of the year. But like, yeah, this is one of your really least likable dudes. Like, I just want to watch like Mahomes throw the ball with his non-dominant hand. Like, don't kill my vibe. Yeah, the good news for you is that Frank Clark is literally their only defender now. So oh, that's nice. Uh, <laughs> well bum, 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 Bing, bing, bing. He got $63.5 million in guaranteed attached to the deal. Aye. It was reported by Schefter as a $105 million deal, but you and I both know that's bullshit. The only right, thing yeah. I don't, why do they even bother doing that shit at this point? Like, the, I guess there's like some cap reason why they the numbers are reported at that higher rate, but like something weird about seeing all that and being like, I just need to scroll down until I see the amount that the guy's actually likely to get. And, and then the rest of it is— wants the number out because the agent— because it makes the deal sound bigger than it is. Yeah, we're setting the market. Agents are sources for these guys. These guys will just parrot out whatever the agent says. Uh, let's take a break and come right back and talk one more drafting and then open up the fun day. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. We're back. Uh, before we get into the fun bag, I want to read one thing. Uh, this is from Kalen Collar at uh, Sports Illustrated, uh, who did a who did a story about uh, uh, NFL draftees and social media, particularly Nick Bosa, who deleted all his tweets because he was afraid the 49ers would draft him. And oh no, he can't. God forbid the the tolerant left in San Francisco. Yeah. Where he wouldn't even be playing. He'd be playing like eight hours south of right. San Francisco. Yeah, I was going to say, like the idea of like, these guys are all, like they've never been to cities before. Like the idea that you go there and like you just have to kiss the like male mayor on the mouth as soon as you <laughs> enter the city. Like, come on, Ben, just relax. Hey, you're in Santa Clara. You're in like exurb heaven. You can- right, like you play, the entire town is a California pizza kitchen. That's <laughs> like where you are. So like, why? Don't worry about it. Like, whatever, whatever. Like, Nick Bosa can find any number of like bros in Trump hats and sharks jerseys that he can like chill with. It's not a problem Oh my at God. All. He won't even need to get in a car. But yeah. Anyway, here's the story from the lead of uh, uh, Collars. And I apologize if I got her name wrong. I believe it's Kaylin Collar. Uh, at the NFL Scouting Combine in 2013, a prospect walked into his 15-minute interview with a team and, to his surprise, was handed a stack of papers as thick as a novel. He flipped through the heavy pile, expecting to see blank play diagrams for some board work. Instead, each page was full of old tweets taken straight from his own Twitter timeline. What the fuck do you want to do, the Twitter, the team's decision makers asked him. Tweet or play football? By the way, what the fuck do you want to do is not in quotes there. 
So I don't know why that is. If you want to play football, how the fuck do you have time to prepare or play when you are tweeting every five seconds? (laughs) Needless to say, that team did not draft this prospect, but another team did. After that fateful combine meeting, the prospect slightly curtailed his serial tweeting. But he still tweeted enough to annoy most teams and led many to believe he was going to be a bad locker room guy, a me-first guy instead of a team-first guy. Since then... He's been a team captain and Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee and is now among the highest paid players in his position. So, there. This is amazing. It's also so NFL that they would have the guy in, show him his tweets, and be like, we're not going to draft you. We just want you to know that we think you're an asshole. It's very, it's also, it is. It's very, like, it's very NFL combined to turn into a police interrogation where it's like they shot a fucking light on you and be like, we've seen your tweets. Yeah, again, dumb guy shit. Useless. It's useless aggression and dominant stuff that, like, it doesn't, you don't learn anything. You don't get anything. But when you're done with it, you're like, well, you know what? Mission accomplished. A job well done. <laughs> like, if you saw a guy's tweets and they, and they concerned you because either he's over-tweeting, like Chad Ochocinco style, who he tweets every five seconds. Yeah. But or, he's not doing anything now. Or because he, like, he tweeted some, like, really objectionable, like racist or sexist thing or something like that. You can sit down and say, listen, I've seen you post about this publicly and I have an issue with it. Can you explain why you did it? Or can you explain why you tweet so much and how you have time to do it if we need you to be, you know, if we need you working? Those are perfectly cromulent questions to ask. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But I I keep thinking this is going to veer into like an intervention for me. But yeah, go ahead. (laughs) That's what blows me away. That they would they would frame it that way is just the most football possible yeah. thing I could ever. Yeah, see. especially like volume of tweets is not the issue. Like it's not you can do it while you're pooping. You can do it while you're peeing if you're if you're deft enough with your non dominant hand. Yeah, like this is not the sort of thing that like the idea that like you are late to get in the huddle because you're retweeting something is a fallacy. Obviously, just not how it works. It's also where. You know, we're only a, a year or two away from leagues completely flipping the script and mandating that players tweet during games. And oh, yeah. Like, and, and, like, put a hashtag for Gatorade at the end of each of them, you know? <laughs> we're going like, to open up new revenue streams. Like, when they interview a baseball manager in the middle of a fucking World Series game, they're going to do that. They're going to be like, listen, can you just tweet how you're feeling right now about that catch? And Yeah. <laughs> so, did the electrolytes help? If they did, don't be afraid to mention it. Yeah. It's- uh, so let's take a break. We'll come back with the fuck <laughs> As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. We're back. It's time to open up the fun bag. We're going to open up with a, an easy one, a softball roll, oh, if you will. Thank you. Recently, uh, Monty says, I ran afoul of a coworker when I, referred to re- when I referred to Oklahoma, her home state, as the Midwest. 
For context, I'm a coastal elite, so I was roundly shamed by my other coworkers who happened to be in Chicago. But where is Oklahoma? I can huh. see geographically it's not the Midwest, but it's definitely not the South. I also don't believe Texas is the South because Texas is Texas. I looked it up, and opinions are divided. Roth, where is Oklahoma? This is a good question. I would say, does anyone say Great Plains? That was my, I thought it was an obvious answer that it's a yeah. plain state along with Kansas and Nebraska. And like yeah. Eastern Colorado. Right. Which is, and that's the part of it that's weird is that it's parts of states that are also, because like Colorado is also Mountain West, but there's like a large part of it that is, you know, just like flatland ranch shit. If you've driven across the country, uh, you know that Oklahoma is essentially indistinguishable from all of the states around it, just in the sense that it's flat right. and full and brown. Yeah, and it's. <laughs> I just want to go back for a second and say there's there's a lot of shitty Colorado. Like, oh yeah, like you think like Denver and Aspen and all that stuff, but then like go like a few miles east and suddenly you're in like the death zone. Yeah, Nevada minus. Yeah, it's really bad. Right. Yeah, the uh, I remember getting gas when you were driving across the country many years ago in a place called uh, Las Vegas, Colorado, and I remember being like, that's funny because it sucks, <laughs> <laughs> but it really did. Which did you hate more, Las Vegas, Colorado, or Las ne Vegas, Nevada, assuming you've been to <laughs> Las, Las Vegas? Las Vegas, Nevada, I wanted to leave sooner than Las Vegas, Colorado. Uh, but yeah, the, Las Vegas, I, I wish that I kind of had that like Las Vegas uh, gene in me because I mostly don't. We would go there. I went to school in L.A. County, so it was like a drive, but you could do it. But I didn't have any money, and I, you know, so it's like kind of hard to have fun there. You're playing like a five dollar hand of blackjack, and you're like really nervous about like if you lose two of them in a row, you have to go home. <laughs> you know, like it's less, it's less the experience that I think they're trying to uh, market there. I do. I, I'm also I'm the guy who plays five and ten dollar blackjack and sets like a hundred dollar limit for losses. Like, am I going to spend a yeah. hundred dollars? And then I, I'm the guy who gawks at the other tables where like guys are plunking down. Guys like 20 years younger than me are plunking down like 250, like a yeah. hand. And I'm just aghast. Like, how they have so much money? They don't. I, I know. Right. I mean, that's the part of it that like I, I think made it hardest for me. That's why I haven't been in a casino in a long time. Was was that? Like, I can if I'm focusing on slowly losing my own money, I can I guess enjoy myself. I don't know. Uh, but like I know how to have that experience. But yeah, anytime I walk by some other thing and there's like some asshole in like the lizard sunglasses playing Baccarat like a thousand dollars ago. I'm like, well, this is stupid. This this person has too much money, and like I can't even go to the good buffet. Like I have to go to the one where they advertise it as being room temperature. Yeah. So I I am I'm with you. I I believe Oklahoma is a great plain state along with Kansas and Nebraska and sections of like Missouri. It's where it's like. It's kind of Midwest because people are stoic and humorless, but also, like, they have a twang, so it's... Yeah. Oklahoma seems like one of the weirdest states, too. Like, it's just, like, culturally, it's it's strange. Like, in I mean, like, Texas is strange, too, but, like, Texas's strangeness is, like, very singular, whereas, like, Oklahoma seems sort of different. But, and again, I'm basing this on books and, like, two people I met there, but it seems, like, just, like, weirdly authentically libertarian in a way that very few states are. Like, I guess, like, New Hampshire is. But that's, like, a weird thing for, like, a whole state to sort of be. Yeah, and also, if you ever read Boomtown by Sam Anderson, there yeah, was a good great— book. I read the excerpt about the land run where it's essentially amazing. Oklahoma City was founded by, by a bunch of people, like, hanging around on the border of Oklahoma overnight, and then, like, someone blowing a whistle and being like, have at it! And they just, so they all ran in, 
and they set it up, except for the people that cheated, who were hiding on the right side of the line. And then they got there, and they laid the city out in, and basically it was this, like, people were pointing guns at each other, and so the grids didn't match, because they were, like, one city was like, no, we're doing it this way, and the other one was like, no, we already did it this way. And they didn't fix that shit for, like, a hundred years. If ever. Yeah. yeah. All, the, all the Native Americans were like, uh, we're here. Hello. Yeah. They're like, right, right, right. Well, but you're actually on the plot of land where my house will be. So, yeah, tight. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, with, I, I be, I'm with you. I believe it's Great Plains states. Daniel writes in, what if ISIS released a really good cookbook? Like, really good. All the recipes are great. And the historical culinary, culinary appendices that accompany each one are a delight to read. Just a thought for Roth. What would happen if ISIS released a fantastic cookbook? Uh, I like the idea of it beginning with those, like, New York Timesy introductions where, like, you know, it begins with somebody being like, a cold day on the Upper West Side. Like, hail in the forecast. Like, it <laughs> seems like soup weather. Like, that sort of, but the, whatever the ISIS version of that would be. Which presumably is just discharging an automatic weapon into the air a number of times. They uh, are media savvy. They are. <laughs> I, I guess there's a part of me that's really curious about, like, what ISIS is, like, I guess mostly the desserts. <laughs> like, what do you enjoy? But I also feel like there's a certain, this is me over-romanticizing and then also overthinking this question. I don't think that it's possible to cook well if you believe the things that an ISIS member would believe. Like, I think that, like, you have to, like, there's obviously a lot of, like, monsters that are, like, whatever, like, Batali or anything like that, like, out-of-control individuals who exploit everyone and are dicks are also great at cooking. Like, that's not unprecedented. But I feel like if you're, like, a real, like, reactionary turd, like, at some point you're just, like, opposed to flavor in, like, as, like, an essential value. I don't know, man. Paula Dean can cook. Hey-oh! Oh, got him. <laughs> Dragon Paula Dean. I have made a Paula Dean recipe. It was, I think, monster cookies. It was a very good recipe. I said, was it actually? I can't believe I like a Paula Dean recipe. I- I always thought that she seemed like the one that all the the ones on Food Network that where it's like Southern cooking where they're like really leaning into that shit. Yeah, like pioneer women and shit. Yeah, and that stuff looks whack, like just trash, like beige, like flavorless goo. And I like Southern food, man. I like you know, like actually like artfully done stuff. But those people don't even seem like they really know how to cook. Yeah, Paula Dean will just take a like a. Not even like a stick of butter, a pound of butter, like like the German stick, and like cram it in, <laughs> like oh, it's God. like push it down into a pan, like she's like molding clay and shit like that. And it's like the same; it fills the same purpose as like Gallagher smashing a watermelon. Like the beats are exactly the same. Where she's like, "Looks like there's just one thing this and from this pot," and like all the audience is like pulling a tarp over their head and letting you fucking go off. Like it's just bizarre to me. Uh, I uh, I believe if ISIS released a really good cookbook, it would be generally ignored by the by Western civilization. A few trolls would be like, "Well, actually, a guy handed to him," and <laughs> you know, you do not and then, under like, any Megan would be like, "Well, I'm sorry, but you can't you can't let ISIS vote, and you can't let them cook recipes." You know, shit like full that. stop. Full yeah, yeah, full stop. If you say Time full to, stop in a tweet, you suck. I already yep, sorry. Let me get this straight. <laughs> ISIS's tabbouleh is good. Yeah. <laughs> Megan McCain. By the way, you're uh someone else noted online, but like the intro to recipes are a complete scourge and they're way out of control now. Yeah. We it's, have a we have a uh, a barefoot contessa cookbook because we're suburbanites and uh 
I respect the Barefoot Contessa, man. She's she's in the good side of the of Food Network ledger for me. And she uh, she has a roast chicken recipe, which is a very good recipe. It's perfectly reliable. And uh, and her copy in the front is like, we call this engagement chicken because some some young lady from the Hamptons I know cooked it and got engaged the next day, so they all call it engagement chicken. And I was uh, like, oh my god, just call it a fucking roast chicken. And let's unbearable. <laughs> I think the first thing I ever got published was a list at <clears throat> McSweeney's where I found my parents have the first Martha Stewart cookbook, like Martha Stewart's Entertaining, which is from like 1981 or 82. Cool. And I was look, I was still living at home after college when I, I didn't sell the piece. They just ran it. It was like 2000. Uh, and it, all of the, it's like the most elaborate version of what we were just talking about that you could imagine because it's, all of the recipes are like, a, you know, a waterfall wedding for 180 people. <laughs> and... <laughs> And the description at the beginning of it would be like, when this couple wanted to, when they found the perfect waterfall in Connecticut to get married at, they knew that they needed a lot of desserts. And then like the recipes are like scaled so that you're making, it's like you want to learn how to make cream puffs, but you have to like take her recipe and like reduce all the portions by 500% to get like something that you can feed to your family. It's the damnedest thing. That's actually the opposite of Ina Garten. Like, there's shit in the Ina Garten's cookbooks where it's like, there's a recipe for, like, a crudy tape ladder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you got to respect it. Like, cut carrots. Yeah. It's Proceed like, to step like, two. Yeah, step one, go to Giant. But step two, <laughs> buy the fucking crudy tape ladder. <laughs> Open clamshell. Uh, uh, Kyle writes in, hey, Drew, let's say there's a rising high school basketball player who's a generational talent. We're talking, like, a LeBron, Durant, Giannis caliber player. One major weakness, though, he has extreme compulsions that require him to touch the center of each baseline after every bucket he scores. How high does he get drafted, and where would you pick him? Of each baseline? Each baseline. So he's just running a suicide every time, and if he scores, you know, 30 points in a game, so he does that 15 times per game. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. I don't know, man. That's a good one. Uh... I think maybe he uh, gets drafted extremely low by a good team that is then uh, going to... It's like, Greg Popovich is going to scheme around that. He's going to make it work. Yeah, I think I think he would get drafted. I think he would... You could touch the two, the two near corners of his own basket or of the opposing basket after he's made it. And then when he runs down to play defense, he has to quickly touch the other two and then get in position. Well, that makes him a liability, though, doesn't it? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You're just basically every basket he scores, he's giving up one on the other end because he's, like, jogging from baseline to baseline. This is where I include the caveat that I'm not trying to, uh, I'm not trying to discount someone who has this sort of compulsion because I understand that that's a compulsion. And yeah. Go I mean, also, if you remember uh, Chris Jackson, when he was Chris Jackson before he became Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, had uh, yes. very serious Tourette's. Yes. And still wound up having a good NBA career. But it was a similar sort of thing where he had all kinds of, uh, like, ticking that, like, impacted. I remember especially at the foul line that there was, like, he had to do a whole series of routines and stuff like that. So, you know, it's possible. Uh, this, As compulsions go, though, this seems like one of your uh, less helpful ones for a basketball prospect. Yeah, baseball has a lot of uh, guys like that. And not just, like, Mark Friedrich and, like, guys like that. But I remember this guy from the Cubs who, like, could not touch a baseline I would have to mm-hmm. jump over it when he's running out to the mound and stuff like that. Turk Wendell? I think it was Turk Wendell. Yeah, Thank he was a you. Met, too. He had a whole bunch of weird things. He would brush his teeth between innings. 
He had like more weird shit than you could imagine. He would chew black licorice on the mound or something. Like he was one of the weirdest dudes that he had like, he was the three weirdest guys in baseball at the same time when he was playing. Yeah, baseball players are so weird like that because they can be so fastidious and it's like I have to put five pieces of tape on each hand before I bat. And then also I'm going to take a shit in the dugout and just leave it. Right, that's it's incredible. All this like orderly, but then like everything else is just complete dirtbag chaos. Yeah, my favorite of those was uh, Steve Finley, who had a very good career. His tick in the batter's box was uh, just touching his dick or like touching his cup, but he would do it dozens of times per at bat. That's every player, though. Yeah, but his was like I mean, every, a lot of them do it. That was like the only thing that he did, though. So it would be like the other, like some guys are like straightening their gloves and like whatever, doing some sort of visualization thing. And his whole deal was just being like, yep, still there. All right. <laughs> just, just the <laughs> masturbating bear from Conan. Just <laughs> <laughs> that was his at bat music. Yes. That's all I do. So I, uh, I understand it. Uh, Dave writes in what profession has the widest range of IQs among people with similar roles? I say journalism has to be near the top. Because you have people like Ronan Farrow and Nate Silver who seem to be legitimately smart, but you also have Darren Rovell and Chris Saliza. I mean, definitely at the high end, I think that's the case. Uh, I also feel like it has to be that there's like police officers that like, I think that some of the, you know, there are people that are like smart and problem solving brain, you know, like I guess I'm, I should explain that I'm watching Bosch now. So I'm thinking about, there's a Bosch on every department. But, you know, there's also going to be a lot of just like, like muscle head, like sort of like washout butthead guys. I think actually, I think, I think the better corollary is to go one step further and say the military. Because that makes sense. Because you'll have like West Point grads who are fucking geniuses, you know, in the ranks. And then you'll have, you know, Billy Joe Jim Bob, who like walked into the recruiting our office in like you know, yeah, just like dudes that were right backup high school nose tackles. It's like it's always been their dream to just like be a military policeman or whatever. Yes, that does seem like a uh, an, an issue. Although it's weird, journalism is amazing with this because like the the uh, like the level of acuity of like the smartest people that are doing it are like those are I think some of the at least in ways that like that show up most readily in conversation. Some of the smartest people I've ever met are, like, very successful journalist people. And yet, like, Chris Saliza has a, just a dog's mind. <laughs> it's true, but, you know, like, I, you know, I think it's a, I think it's folly to say, like, Darren Ravel is stupid. Uh, like, he's yeah. extremely craven, right? Yeah. But I don't think he's dumb. And also, like, you know, journalism is still, like, really clubby and, like, you know, Ivy League people, you know, ascend up the ladder quickly. So you get people who are like smart, you know, in quotation marks and like went to a good school or something like that, but are just assholes. Like they're more ignorant than stupid. Yeah. You know? Electoral politics seems like it's the same sort of thing. That's right. That's right. Although politics has some uh, real legitimately actual stupid people. Oh yeah. Like Louis Gomert and stuff like that. Like people that like, it's a wonder that they don't drown in the shower every morning. Yes. <laughs> like- yeah, the it, that's been incredible for me with like the, you know, whatever, some of the, the hearings that have happened where like you'll see some Republican congressman dude trying to like dunk on somebody and it gradually emerges over the course of like 90 seconds that like this person doesn't know how to read. Like it's just there are some truly remarkable specimens in there. That happened the to, me, to get- uh, over the past couple of weeks. I, I got my bank statement a month ago and it said I had taken $210 out of my account, which I did not do. 
Mm-hmm. or which I thought I had not done. And so I called the bank a zillion times and said, I didn't take this out. I want my money back. They gave me the money back. Then they said, no, wait, we did an investigation. You don't get your money back. We're taking back the money that we took back. And then I called over to again, and I'm like, I'm pulling my account, which I was never going to do. Got to play hardball up. with them, though. This has been disgraceful and horrible. And finally, I get a, I get a, I get a call from a, like a senior consultant. And he's like, well, actually, we gave you a check that had a misspelled name on it. So you had so we you had to put that into your account and then pull it back out. And that's why you did it. And I was like, oh yeah, I remember that. Sorry. <laughs> <sighs> so yeah. that was fun. Yep. I mean, it's tough. Even uh not even smart people can uh, make very, very dumb decisions sometimes. Smart is debatable on that. Well, Two I'm more questions. Being this, nice. this one's quick. This is from Zachary. Can we start abbreviating Timberwolves as uh, this is, I'm going to spell it for you. The number two, L-V-E-S, instead of two verbs. <laughs> I need to save those two characters. So can they be the tools? The tools. The tools. Is that okay? No. I say no. <laughs> Get that shit out of here. Uh, yeah, because they'd be the tools, and that's not. That's it. Right. I'm gonna I'm gonna type it on my phone and see how it looks right now because it does. There's it's such an intriguingly bad idea that I'm there's part of me that's kind of perversely drawn to it. It looks like two elves, so that's a better yeah. nickname for the twins, actually. <laughs> it is. Yes. Uh, this is the Trump question of the week. It's from Michael. How many Kanye West songs has Donald Trump actually listened to? I'm guessing he's only heard Gold Digger, based on the name. Alone. <laughs> yeah, because he thought it was like investment tips. Yeah. Like he was like, that basically he was like going to get into metal detecting. And then he was like, the song is not about that. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I would be shocked if he'd listened to any Kanye West song. And this and is also, bec- you would have to, I think, let's, let's say that it's not ambient Kanye West music. Right. Because he doesn't experience music ambiently the way that like you can be in like a retail setting and hear like, four or five seconds or, like, whatever, the radio version of some song that's popular of Kanye's back when he had, like, really popular songs. And this is, like, that's not a a situation that Trump is ever in. That, like, I don't know what music plays at his golf clubs. I'm assuming it's just, like, songs he has written about him. Yeah. But he's not, like, this isn't a guy that, like, fucking listens to the radio. Like, he listens to, like, the Phantom of the Opera soundtrack. Like, everything, again, like, everything stopped in 91. So... In, he, Kanye would have to do like a like a version of It's Like That or something because that's what like Trump thinks rap music is. Uh, I'm going to defy you and I'm going to say he has listened to Kanye West. I think in particular, I think he's heard Power and thinks it's about him. Oh, yeah. All right. I can see that. Like, so, like yeah, yeah, me. Uh, Jesus Walks powerful. also thinks that's about him. Uh, <laughs> and also, he's met with Kanye personally. I think it's impossible to meet with Kanye without him busting out a laptop and jacking the volume all the way up and being like, let's check out what I'm working on. And then, like, he plays it at full volume and then nods his head, and you have to nod your head along with it. That is, I am so happy that you have given me this image to think about. Because, yes, that's absolutely what he would do. Like, he would make Trump sit in, like, a Bugatti with him and, yeah. like, listen to, like, a beat that he's working on and be like, this is Kid Cudi or whatever. And Trump would be like, oh, he's very good, big friend of mine, terrific. And that would be... Uh, extremely awkward for Trump and he would make his like bulldog face and kind of like nod his head arithmically. But I would love it uh, if he had to have that experience. I, Honestly, uh, he, I just he know it. all musicians do this. I, I say this because I'm totally 
got a name drop here. I did go see Justin Bieber in a studio for a GQ assignment, and he did precisely this. And so I just I remember all. the story. I, and it was ear splittingly loud, as I recall, right? Just so fucking loud. But of course, it didn't bother anyone except for me. So I obviously I was the oldest, daddest person there. Do you and remember I was like, the song? This is was, so fucking loud. I'm in pain. Was it a song that like went on to become like a single? Or was it yeah, just sort of it was, like it was Boyfriend, which I think is a good song. Oh yeah. But it was uh it was off that album, uh, which was relatively disappointing. It was the album was called Believe, and then his next album was called Purpose, and Purpose was a complete fucking smash. And he's been way, way, way in the stratosphere ever since. That so. was like his awkward period though, right? That he was like kind of like transitioning into the like like he definitely had sex by that point and wanted yes. to like write songs about it, but people weren't sure that they necessarily wanted to hear that. That's right. That's right. But he but he was already it was already clear that he was extremely talented and would be a good adult artist if he had a shit together, which was a question at the time. Yeah. And now he's a fucking global superstar. So I remember that story of your did, was the original peg of that story that you were gonna box him. Am I yes. imagining this? All right, um, good. Yeah, I remember the story very fondly. Uh especially now that that um you know, I've spent some time around you physically. Just the idea of you and and Bieber uh, lacing them up is is still pretty gratifying to me. When we we were pitching ideas for that assignment, like things, activities for me and Bieber to do together, apart from just hanging out in a studio, which is what we eventually did anyway. Uh, and before boxing came up, which was Bieber's idea, until we met at the studio, and he's like, "Nah, I don't want to do that." Uh, one of my ideas was, "Look, I'm going to take him to dinner and drive him there in a car." But instead of taking him to dinner, I'm going to lock the doors in the car and I'm going to drive him to Vegas. Oh. And we're going to party in Vegas. And my editor was like, actually, Drew, that's kidnapping and it's illegal. <laughs> You're like, but, so you but it's cute not. when I do it. That's, <laughs> that's yeah, amazing. Yeah. I was like, but it'd be fun. He'd go missing and no one would Man, care. I respect that pitch so much. I just said, I'm going to chloroform him for the piece. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, this show is produced by our executive director of audio, Mondana Mafidi. We featured music by Corbin Hayes. The episode was mixed by Jamie Calazzo. Now, if a question you want to send us, send a voice note or email to deadcastdeadsman.com or tweet us using the hashtag deadcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Panoply, NPR One, or wherever else you get your podcast. Mondana Raw, thank you so much. Enjoy the draft, everybody. Bye. Bye. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.